All right, we are back, and like I told you just a few seconds ago when we logged on together, I am digging your look, man. Yeah? <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Very distinguished. I like it. The beard is back. You're looking good, yeah, man. Notice a little little weight loss? Maybe huh? that's what it is, too. Yeah, you look good, brother. Seriously. Yeah, I've been, been working out a little bit. Hopefully, by the time we get to uh, to Myrtle Beach, that uh, it'll be a little different look for me. Yeah, Myrtle Beach. Uh, all right, so we I, I'm not sure if we were going to talk about this or not, but yeah, so for those of you who are in the cornhole world, you probably know by now, for those who aren't, our first main event, I guess you can say, Bernie, sure. with the college with the college national championships, I think the high school championships now are going to be involved. Um, sounds like there might be a big open involved with yeah, this. There, I mean, there's I mean, all, there's always, yeah, there's always there's always a pro event. Yeah. So, so New Year's, basically New Year's Eve, that whole weekend, a few days before New Year's Eve this year, a few days after, back in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina to get, to really get everything cranked up for the year. It's, it's kind of cool, man. I mean, you know, no offense to Myrtle Beach, but I mean, you've, you've been there. I mean, it's, when you're in the off season, you are in the way off season. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it's, it's pretty quiet, you know, you know, living in Charleston, for example, you still have stuff there. You still oh, have yeah. the history that's there. You still have the restaurant scene, all of that. So you still have people kind of coming in and out, even during the quote unquote down down season. Not so much in Myrtle Vegas. I mean, it is it is a dead time. So it's, it's pretty quiet but, down by the but, beach. But it's yeah. fun. But it's that makes it kind of fun in its own way because we bring our own little world down there and kind of populate the beach for for a few days. It's always a lot of fun. All right. So since we're talking about uh, cornhole. I almost said pornhole. What the hell? Where'd that come from? Yeah, what you been watching? From? Wow. Jeez, where'd that come from? <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, um, since we're talking about cornhole, um, all right. So last week you brought this up. We kind of touched on it. Yeah. But I, I think I think it's worth hitting on again. And again, this this is kind of a great subject for those of you who are in the cornhole world and for those who aren't. Um, Bernie, I remember when I first got into this world, now almost three years ago, um, and I was just kind of going around, you know, asking people, kind of probing, you know, who who's the greatest cornhole player of right. all time? Like, who's that legendary player? And at the time, um, Matt Guy, I didn't know about because he wasn't in the ACL. He's in a different league, playing in a different circuit. Right. And so, you know, I, I was going around. I'm saying, I'm saying, you know, is Jamie Guy, Jamie Guy, the best? Is it Noah Wooten? Is it you know these other players who I who I just met? You know, who's who's and and all of them. And I think it was Damon Dennis who first told me, he said, brother, he, he's like, until you see a guy named Matt Guy uh, play, <laughs> you, you you will never be able to tell me that you've seen the, the all-time greatest player play the sport of cornhole. So, so all I ever heard about for my first year was Matt Guy and he, this legendary player. And he is. And he comes over to the ACL. Obviously, he's been with the ACL now the last couple of years. And going into this past season, and actually – just up until recently, was regarded as the all-time winningest cornhole player in the history of the sport. And right. then Trey Ryder, last season during the offseason, you know, I, I kept saying, you know, we, we kept saying, you know, Matt Guy is the, is the all-time, you know, great greatest player, right? But we wanted to quantify that. So then Trey, uh, just to his credit, just grinded back in the history books, right? And and we and we put a number to that. And sure enough, the the player with the most career all-time wins was matt guy mm -hmm. but but jamie graham was kind of on his heels he was behind him by maybe four you know all-time career wins something like this and you mentioned it last week we, we didn't have a whole lot of time to dive into this but all of a sudden 
Jamie Graham now, after winning in Louisville, sweeping both singles and doubles, is now tied with Matt Guy in all-time career wins in the sport of cornhole. I mean, I, I think this is a significant thing. I mean, we have a chance, maybe not this weekend in Louisville. We'll see because because Matt and Jamie are also doubles partners, so it's kind of going to be hard for them to, yeah. to leapfrog each other. But I think this is a big deal. I mean, Jamie at some point this season, if it's not this weekend, maybe later, uh, maybe it's during a national, has a chance to pass Matt Guy to be the all-time winningest player in the sport of cornhole. I mean, I think this is a big deal. Yeah, especially from the ACL side. Look, you're going to get some of the old heads, right, that have been around for a decade plus that'll talk about another circuit that they all played on back in the day. And Matt truly dominated that era. Yeah, correct. Truly, do- truly dominated that era. And that's kind of where that all, that that mystique, you know, the, the myth kind of came from with Matt Guy. Since the ACL has been around, you're looking at 2016, 2017 on, and then what Jamie Graham's been able to do. And Jamie had a lot of success back then too, but he was just so young, right? Right. But now you get to a point to where Jamie is quickly becoming, I think, you you know what? Telling, telling story. We had our bracket breakdown for the Louisville Open on Monday night. Trey and I were doing it. And Trey talked about having some of the pros in. They were doing some video work at the HQ. And they were asking all these pros, you know, besides yourself, who's the best player in the game? And Trey was saying about 75% of those pros said Jamie Grant. I mean, that's a lot to that is a for, lot for your own peers. And we're talking elite players that, you know, kind of view Jamie as the best. And looking going into this season, I felt that Jamie had a lot to prove internally, emotionally. I, I think that he feels like he is the best player. I, I think that he has reverence for Matt Guy, but I think he feels like, especially right now, present day, he's the best player. He's the most well-rounded player. And I think by the end of this 2022-2023 season, he's going to be, by our record books, the greatest player ever. Because obviously they play doubles together, so neither one's going to get a leg up on the other that way. Well, I mean, I guess they could in opens, but... I just think Jamie's going to have a very successful season singles wise. I mean, obviously he's already won the first open. I think he's going to be a, well, he is anyway, but I think this year, especially he's going to be a serious, serious, serious contender in every event that he plays in in singles. And I'm sure Matt guy would feel the same. I just think the game is getting to a certain point to where variety, you have to have something. Right. I mean, you've got the Matt guys and the Damon Dennis's that are just going to slide it and airmail it when they have to slide it, airmail it when they have to. And that's their game. They totally do, it at, do it at such an elite level. Still, the game's but changed. But at some point, the game's changed a little bit. And whether yep. it's a little cut shot, even Damon Dennis has kind of added a little cut to his game. So I think because of the way that Jamie, like you've said many times in a baseball reference, is a five tool player. He's got five different shots that he can go to, and he's a he's an expert at all of them. I think you're going to see him kind of take that mantle as the greatest player in the game. Yeah, just real quick, going going into here's the list. I mean, just just four or five names off the top for those of you who don't know. So Matt Guy, Jamie Graham, tied. So they are the Jack Nicholas of the sport right now. They've got 18 mm-hmm. uh, career titles. Trey Birchfield, uh, not too far behind actually. Trey Trey a little quiet last year, but he has 13. Brett Guy is on their heels with 10. And then Ryan Windsor with nine, Eric Davis with nine, Mark Richards, of course, with that huge year, breakout year as a rookie year last year. Um, also 
in the mix somewhat. He, he's at eight, and then it kind of starts to fall off after that. But that's that's kind of the list of the all-time winningest players in ACL history. Yeah, but Mark Richards is eight. Be... By the yeah, Mark Richards is eight. By the way, or in one year, that's pretty yeah, impressive. came in one year. Yeah, <laughs> but, and that's that's another big question that everyone's talking about, and everyone's talked about already. We don't need to dive into it, but yeah, you know, he'll be he'll, he'll be. Is there a sophomore slump, or is he gonna is he gonna is he gonna do it again? We'll we'll find out. Obviously, I mean, there is. I mean, honestly, just to talk about it briefly, there's no way he can have as good a year as he did last year. He's one point away from sweeping everything, right? I mean, he was the singles yeah. world champion. He's one point away from being the doubles world champion. He was the mixed doubles world champion. I mean, he number. I mean, come on. There's no way he can live up to that. Yeah. Again, he's this, gonna be, he's, it's going to be tough to beat. Right? <laughs> Eight career titles in one year. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's impressive. But I would not be surprised if we see that from Jamie Graham this year. Yeah. Seriously. I, I'm with I, you. I'm with you. You know, you know, he's been one of my favorites to watch ever since I – first got in the sport so i wouldn't be yeah. i wouldn't be surprised all right two more quick things before we get to our guest today uh i don't know if we want to start a a shout out segment or not might be kind of cool because um we actually do hear from our 15 or 20 listeners uh, yes from time to time. So, hardcore man they so, are in so, so maybe we start a shout out segment but tj uh i won't give last names to to spare um any type of of, uh, social media privacy. bombardment yeah. yeah but so tj re reached out to us on facebook he was listening last week with terry kirby and terry talked about you know terry 10-year nfl veteran now jumping in the cornhole world wants to be a pro and he talked about you know basically developing his game starting with the basics like he wants to get really good at throwing one shot first he feels like it's so easy to get you know to get so consumed with wanting to be able to throw a roll bag wanting to be able to find a cut shot, you know, all these other crazy shots that, that all the players are throwing. And so he's just practicing on the basics first. And, yep. and, and so TJ was listening to the show and he said, Hey, you know, it's, it's the same with other sports. His daughter is a really good softball player and a pitcher. And he said, you know, my daughter, when she first started throwing or pitching in softball, her pitching coach said the same thing. I am not letting you throw a curve, I'm not letting you throw a riser, all these other crazy pitches that they have in softball until you can prove to me that you can paint each corner of the strike zone with your fastball. So Amen. dominate one, which is exactly what you talked about last week. Dominate one pitch first, then move on. Be an expert first and one, then move on. I thought that, I thought that was a great, a great message. I mean, it is. I mean, think about it in terms of life, a greater, you know, I can only speak for myself, but like I, I can hold a fairly intelligent conversation about a great many things, but I can't really hold a truly intelligent conversation about any one thing, you know, and what's more important in life, I think, <laughs> is you're going to find is to find that one thing that you're, you know, kind of a master at and then kind of, you know, you use that to go on through life. But I mean, in sports, I mean, you. I, it's but it's so entertaining, right? I mean, I, it's, we see it in cornhole all the time. Everybody wants to throw the roll bag, the cut. You know, they want they want to try all these different shots, and that's awesome. And then all of a sudden, they get deep in a bracket and they run into a Matt guy who's just going to throw two shots, but he does them better than everyone else, and they lose. And they're wondering why. You know, how did I lose to this guy again? It's just yep. look, he's, he's just working. He's mastered he, the one. He's, yep. he's mastered that shot, and you, you yep. when you're making mistakes, he's not. It's so true, Bernie, and, and to kind of segue into our guest, um, I think it's true in sports and I think it's true in life. And I think our guest today is a great example of that because he, although is a brilliant guy, um, very, very smart, he chose one avenue 
and mm-hmm. chose to be an expert in that one avenue. It's been very successful to him. So kind of kind of a, a good segue for our guests. But real quick, uh, just real quick, meet Jeff and Bernie. I can't believe how fast these shows go, by the way. I feel like all of a sudden we've had so much to talk about. We've had no time to do meet Jeff and Bernie. Right? But I thought about you this weekend because those uh, who saw on social media. So my daughter, um, Noelle, has narrowed it down to her final four schools, Alabama, Clemson, South Carolina. And then Coastal Carolina, I know Coastal sounds funny, but it's right down the road from us. She thinks maybe it'd be nice to be close to home. Uh, Coastal's a really cool little campus, so maybe she'd like that environment, but whatever. So we went to Alabama this weekend. But on a serious note, while we had so much fun, Bernie, at the football game, walking around campus, touring everything, I I thought about you, man, because in one of our early episodes, you and I kind of opened up about why you didn't have kids or, or why maybe you didn't think you'd be a good dad. Because mm-hmm. it's a ton of responsibility, and as much <laughs> yeah. and, and as much fun as we had driving to Alabama, enjoyed our weekend driving back. There were I, I'd be lying to you if 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 I didn't have if I if I sat here and told you I didn't have a few moments this weekend where I was like, "Wow, shit!" I mean, this is this is a huge decision decision for her. Like I'm helping her, you know, guide her through this decision. But you know, it's it's gonna be four different paths of life. Whether yeah. she goes to Alabama, whether she goes to Clemson, whether she goes to South Carolina or Coastal, each one of those paths is a huge difference. It's like it's like the movie Sliding Doors. I mean, there are four sliding doors in front of her, and depending on which door she picks, is going to shape the rest of her life. And it's it's a big decision, man. I thought about you because I'm like, wow, there's a huge responsibility here. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting you say that. I mean, what does she want? Is she picking those schools because of courses, or is she just thinking? You know, I'll figure it out once I'm there because, you know, obviously every school has its thing that they're kind of known for. So if she's just looking for the best environment and then she'll figure out what she wants to do, I say Alabama or Clemson. Right. Yeah. And it depends on, you know, it, part of her and that's up to her. You know, I mean, yeah. the, the, it, it's ultimately going to be her decision. But, you know, the fact that I'm helping guide her through this and her mom's helping guide her through this. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, get, it it speaks to what you and I talked about. I mean, this is one of those parenting tough that. Yeah. I mean, it's fun and it's exciting, but there's a lot of pressure on a dude. I mean, it's it's I mean, for me as a dad, because I'm, I don't want to I don't want to steer her wrong. Right. And I feel I, I do. For some reason, I felt like a lot of anxiety and pressure about that this week. Yeah. I mean, I would like, we, like we, we did talk fun, though. Yeah, like we talked about before, I mean, I, I think my biggest worry was, you know, I've, I've made a pretty big mess of my life. I don't think I could live with myself if I did that to a child. You, you, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, like, I, would, I, I still think you'd be a good dad because of your past. But yeah, yeah, I get it, though. I get it. What you said is right. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. and um, There's a lot of ways to mess up a human being. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you, yeah. you, you mess around, you do the wrong thing for five to ten years. They're living with that forever. Well, the old saying, the old saying in, in parenting is something, something like, I mean, you can either be a great example or a, a great mentor, or a horrific example, right? I right. Mean, you, it can go either way as a parent. So, all right, you ready? Let's get to our guests. We, we've had him on hold here long enough. So, uh, so happy that we finally been able to connect with this guy. Uh, many of you in the cornhole world, well, all of you in the cornhole world will know him. For those of you outside of the cornhole world, you're going to enjoy this show. He has a master's in mechanical engineering which already means he's way smarter than us. (laughs) Uh, He moved to San Diego and started his career in aerospace in 1999. He then, uh, years later, rented a small warehouse space uh, in 2007 to have a shop to work on some fun projects on the side. And so what did he do? (laughs) 
uh, started making cornhole bags and, and boards. And uh, he then formed a relationship, Bernie, with you and Stacy around 2010. Uh, went full-time in the cornhole business, which is exactly what we're talking about. He picked a lane and just mastered it. That was back in 2013. Ultra bags were developed in 2016, fine-tuned for a few years. They actually changed their name to Ultra Cornhole as a company to kind of better fit what they were doing. Uh, had more of a focus on elite-level cornhole products. Uh, his Viper bags, which are just epic bags, so popular right now, uh, hit the market in 2019. And the rest is absolute history. So please welcome to the show the founder of Ultra Cornhole. If you don't know, again, it's one of the largest cornhole product companies in the world. Welcome to Borderline, Mark Pryor. What's up, Mark? Hey, guys. Thank you. That <laughs> hey, was I'm a so great introduction. Appreciate it. You guys had some <laughs> topics going there I wanted to chime in on so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we can do. We got, we've got time. So hey, we got time, time, man. Jump in. First things first. I'm glad that you liked my intro because you wrote it. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, man. I, I'm so happy to connect with you. You and I have talked uh, away from the show and and at, at several events. We wanted to have you on, so I appreciate your time. So, uh, where, oh, sorry, so first, first off, are you home? Are you in San Diego? I'm in San Diego. I'm in my uh, my place here. Jealous. Just trying to take care of some business. Um, I spend most of my time kind of at a desk now, you know, at home, just navigating things, especially now since it was, you know, uh, the new season and, you know, we're trying to lock in the team. Um, you know, it's, it's a juggernaut of, you know, just hammering and just trying to get people together and adjusting and seeing where the budget's at and cringing. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, before we get to your teams and your players, uh, you've signed some really high level players and you've signed a lot of them, which, which we'll talk about as well. Uh, all right. So you want to chime in on a few of these subjects. I don't even know. I mean, are, are you a dad? Do you have kids or no? I do. I have two daughters. One just turned 13. Um, and then another one's 10. And um, I was at soccer practice with a 10 year old yesterday and it's a blast. I mean, I, 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 I hear where you're at, and I, I look forward to that. I remember when my dad dropped me off at uh, the campus of UCSB, Gauchos, number one school in partying. Um, in partying. Yeah. yeah. And I remember when he dropped me off, you know, we were just, you know, cruising into the campus. And it's like Campus Point is, you know, there's ocean kind of surrounding like two corners of this thing. And the dorm, my dorm is like right there on the ocean. And my dad's like, you lucky son of a. Yeah, we didn't have that. We didn't have that at Kansas. I'm going to be in those shoes just like you are now, and it's crazy how life, you know, just kind of, you know, moves right along on the conveyor belt. But um, it's it's exciting, and uh, you know, I'm very much fortunate. I think I have you know healthy kids, and my health is okay, and got a great company and great brand and great team. You know, both the players and the people behind the scenes doing the work. So I feel very fortunate. Yeah. What about what about your thoughts on, on Jamie Graham, the other topic we were talking about? I mean, uh, he's got a chance to pass Matt Guy. Uh, I mean, is, is this a big deal, do you think, for, for all, all the people that are in the sport of cornhole or not? Or do we make too big a deal out of this all-time winningest <laughs> list? No, it's great. Um, you know, it's great that we have a sport where we're tracking these things. You know, it, it's yeah. amazing how we just – you know, we're at the forefront of the sport, really. You know, I mean, it, it did start, you know, kind of competitively in like 2005-ish, 
you know, but the way it's kind of ramped up, we're all right in the situation where it's like, oh, you know, all these stats are being maintained. You're talking about stats. You know, we have these player sponsorships, which is just, you know, insane, right? It's it's turning into, you know, pro baseball, pro football, right? In terms of just the stats and the sponsorships and the excitement. So is it a big deal? Yes, it's a big deal, you know, because people care about it. People are wanting to know, like, which player is, you know, the best in the world, which player is the best currently. Um, you know, Matt Guy's just held that for so long. It's been so dominant, like you said, Bernie. You, know, you can have, or Jeff, you, you both mentioned, you know, just, you know, he has like two shots, really. I mean, it's just straight in and it's airmail. He wants yeah. a 12 every freaking time and he will do whatever it takes to acquire that 12. Right. And we see that. And it's, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't lately, right? There's been, you know, people that are, you know, effective at blocking and maybe he's just a little bit off and that air mill misses by a sliver. But for the longest time, it's been so dominant. I, I have a feeling it's it's going to reappear. Um, you know, I feel like every time he gets a little bit back, he comes back stronger. Um, you know, Jamie's been just amazing. I mean, what can you say about that guy? He's just so solid on the court, you know, just the foundation and just the, the mechanics, um, really an unstoppable force, it seems. You know, but there were some, you know, cracks. You know, we had a couple of players that are able to, you know, come in and have that spotlight too, which is great. Um, very excited about this upcoming season and seeing what some of those rookie players last year will do on their second year. You know, will there be a sophomore slump? Where the, sure. will there be a bump in performance? Um, so it's going to be exciting. Speaking, speaking of Jamie, and I'm going to, this is, I'm going to talk about Jamie for a second, and then I'm going to lead into my question for you. One of, the th one of the things that I think helps Jamie going forward is Jamie has, we talked about, you just talked about Matt. Matt has two shots. Matt has made those, he has fine-tuned those to an expert level. Jamie could probably say that about four shots specifically, and maybe five. And as the game's changing, he's staying at the forefront of the game you've been around the game for a long time and you've been kind of a vanguard at times. I mean, let's go back to the, the five point slot on your boards back in 2010. I mean, you, you are a person that's been thinking on a forward level about the sport. Do you think that helps Jamie? Do you think that helps some of your players kind of attain that new level of elite status that maybe we're getting into an, an era now that the one or two shots is going to keep you, near the top but can you be at the top with only two shots i mean look if you have two shots and you're perfect at them you're gonna win right if all your bags keep going in the hole you know nobody's gonna beat you however that right. doesn't always happen you're gonna miss a shot from time to time there's gonna be some traffic what jamie does with his push shot is probably the most precision high velocity throw there is in the game you know, you have Eric Davis, which has the highest velocity push shot in the game. But, you know, it can be a little bit here or there. But, I mean, Eric Davis is probably one of my favorite push shots in the game. But as far as, like, pure accuracy with velocity, I don't think anybody touches Jamie Graham. So having that bag in your arsenal when you need to kind of push through traffic, you know, Matt just doesn't have that shot. He doesn't have a high velocity shot. He knows that if he – changes velocity that's really going to screw him up because he practices with a particular velocity it's open board slide it's airmail you know yep so yeah well, absolutely Mark, I, I, shots will help you have in, their, in your arsenal 
so many topics to cover um, with you. And we might even have to do two shows because the time always runs out so fast on these things. But before we before we dive into that rabbit hole too much, because I think it's fascinating about I mean, if anyone can speak to the history of the cornhole bag and the evolution of the bag to what it is now. I mean, you, you pretty much brought the bag out of the dark ages. Um, it, it's guys like you, and I, I'd love to do that. But first, I, I've got to know like your personal story. I mean, we were just talking about it. I mean, from your background in mechanical engineering and then starting a career in aerospace in 1999, and then cornhole. It's like, what the hell, man? Like, how did you get into cornhole? You're obviously a brilliant <laughs> guy, but it kind of goes back to what we were speaking about. Like, like choose your lane, right? I mean, pick a lane, be an expert at it. But, but I mean, how did you get from aerospace engineering into cornhole sure there's a couple things that kind of led me down that path you know one was when i was as early as i can remember i'd visit my grandparents in pennsylvania pittsburgh pennsylvania and there was this you know small bing bag toss board that they uh, my uncle had made and he was you know had roots in um, ohio area and this board was like two foot by two foot with a hole in the center and the bing bags were like you know, maybe this big with some rocks in it or something, or maybe some, you know, beans. And we just absolutely loved it. My grandfather, we played him when he was like 95 years old. And I have pictures of that, you know, and so um, just having that in my memory and then going into aerospace where it's, it's very, it's very difficult to innovate in aerospace. You know, as a young engineer, I had just so many ideas and I wanted to implement these things. And you just have the old guard there saying, hey, there's no heritage with your ideas. You know, we, we love them, but, you know, we're not going to get Boeing to sign off on this. You know, we're not going to get this, whatever your idea is flown. You have to, you know, you have to get NASA to kind of maybe invest in it and then want to put it on a demonstrator. Right. So that that process just was agonizing for me. I, I couldn't stand not being able to innovate under my own terms. Um, and Cornell was a, a chance for me to kind of do that, um, you know, to make something that I could mass produce rather than spend, you know, half a, or a decade or two developing technologies that never go anywhere. So, um, <laughs> so you were, so you were basically, I mean, you were looking for something that you could make a difference in. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially that was it. Yeah. And it was just such a fun thing. You know, you, you know, you can go to a party and, talk about Cornell, you can't really get into conversation about um, the reflector on a satellite and why I'm trying to reduce <laughs> the weight by a few kilograms, right? And the, the, the frequency modes on it and how it relates to launch and how it could break up. So, I mean, once you start getting into those details, people just gla- glaze over, understandably. Yeah, I'm feeling sleepy already. You know, Cornell, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, know, you could just start saying, hey, man, I got this new bag and everybody just, you're the life of the party, you know? <laughs> you go from a dud to, you know, somebody interesting. So um, I kind of wanted a little bit of that. So, you know. So what, what, all right. So you're, you get into cornhole early, early, mid, mid to late 2000s. What was it that kind of solidified in your head? This is the direction I want to go. Because you had this background, obviously you're getting into something, but I mean, it takes a while for things to kind of take off. And when, when was it, what was the aha moment for you when you're like, I can do this, this is the rest of my life, let's make this happen? Oh, great question. Um, you know. Wow, that's something was, we've never heard on the show before. <laughs> yeah, right. 
it's a first. <laughs> wow, Bernie, great question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, juggling your full-time job and doing a side hustle that is was at the time it was very seasonal. So come around April, I'm like, oh shoot, you know, I'm getting these orders coming in and I'm like stressing out and I'm trying to finish up a project. You know, you don't want to shortchange your primary employee employer. So, you know, you try to balance it and it started getting too crazy. I couldn't balance it anymore. And um, uh, when did I think that I wanted to do it full time was probably, you know, when I left my my full time employment, you know, I decided that, you know, it's getting around April is getting to be way too busy. And um, <clears throat> so, you know, at that time, it it's tough, though. You know, you go from a guaranteed salary to something that you can't guarantee. Right. Um, and it wasn't like I was making more than I was, you know, in aerospace at that point in time. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing you took a little bit of a pay cut. <laughs> yeah, you know, you do that for a while if you're if you're kind of going after your your passion. And I guess my passion was just to you know, you know, to do something on my own and not really have to ask anybody. Right. Yeah. I think that was my my primary thing was, you know. If, my whole time in aerospace, you know, just trying to do something, you really have to cross a lot of difficult bridges to get something done. Whereas if you're the business owner, you have so much flexibility. You're like, I want to make a new bag. Okay, we'll go make a new bag. You know, nobody to really talk to about it other than yourself. But it, it, it is kind of interesting. Now we're at where we have, you know, I think like 20 ish employees now um, here in San Diego and Hawaii. And we have um, just a really good group of people where they're taking on a lot of those responsibilities that I've carried for so long, you know, and so that, that feels good to be able to kind of let other people champion those things. And, um, you know, I can take a little bit of step back on some of those responsibilities and, and focus, you know, a little bit on technology. Um, you know, we're coming out with a new board we're pretty excited about. Um, so I've been in the shop just trying to tune the CNC and trying to tune some other things. Uh, making some uh, test samples, um, you know, measuring um, strength of different things. And so those things that really excite me, that's kind of what I was groomed to do, you know, to, to do those things. And so um, we spent so much time on the players and the sponsorships and trying to fit the team together. And, and now I'm like kind of handing off things and people are on my team are just able to accept them and they're just champion them and go with it. So that, that feels good. Hey, Mark, was it difficult for you and is it still difficult for you to manage kind of the business side of the operations with marketing? Uh, how difficult was it for you to learn that? Because you are, I mean, I can just hear it in your mind. Your brain works differently. Like you are all in on numbers and and theories, right? And probably physics. I mean, the, with the way that you talk about the dimensions and the size already just of your cornhole boards and your bags, I can tell it excites you. But yet, you know, you still, you still as, as the owner of a company, have had to balance the business side also. Was that a tough transition? Is it still hard for you? I wear all of the hats, pretty much. I'll be in the bathrooms cleaning them. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not afraid, you know, um, and I, I never have been. I feel fortunate that everything has worked out as well as it's had. Um, would I have done better if I had hired somebody to take care of, you know, just the business side and I focus on the technology side? Maybe, you know, that's, it's interesting because there's so many talented people. And if you try to do everything yourself, you're maybe not 
doing it the, the best, you know, um, I can look back at times where there's other companies that I was like looking at, I'm like, wow, they're doing a really good job at it. You know, right. um, they're growing so good and everything is happening so well. And I'm, you know, sitting here in the shop <clears throat> making onesie twosies type of things, you know? So, um, there's definitely lessons learned with trying to manage your time and utilize other people as effectively as possible. Um, I still think I probably can improve in those areas. Well, I think I think you had a great point, though, Mark, because your company obviously is is very, very successful. You've been doing it for a long time now. And what we hear from other people is, you know, whether whether you're a captain on a sports team or you're the CEO of a company, hiring good people, hiring a good team to help you with maybe deficiencies that you have is critical to a successful company. So it sounds like that was hugely important for you. Yes. Yeah. Was, thanks. Also, uh, real quick, you know, one thing I've noticed, Jeff, about people that are successful in business, they got in because they're tired of answering to someone else. Yeah. It is a common thread all the way through. I don't care what person you're talking about, but every business owner I've ever known or read about or seen on television, whatever, at some point they got tired of having to answer to someone and they knew that they knew enough. Does that make sense? They knew I don't need this person's opinion anymore. I'm, I'm better than this. Let me go ahead and do this. Let me get all these people out of the way and let me go ahead and do this. Sometimes you don't know. That's a scary <laughs> thing. You don't know if you're smart enough to do it. And I, you know, you don't know when you go into business for yourself for the first time, you know, you don't sure. know what diddly, you know, and, and I guess that's been the main thing that I, I try to do is I never took a loan out. I just always try to manage it organically as small as I could, you know, and I see some people blowing up, you know, their, their shop and stuff. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, they're taking some gambles and risks. You know, this economy isn't exactly the most stable thing I've ever seen. Um, you know, so I think there's a lot of risk taking going on right now. It's sure. You know, if we talk about what, you know, sponsoring players right now, it's, if you add up, you know, all the value of sponsorship, I think that's a pretty substantial number right now. And I think it grows every year. Right. Um, you know, and it, it all kind of hinges a little bit on, you know, the, the success of the ACL, you know, and what, what the team there is doing behind the scenes to grow um, the sport, you know, and to gain visibility within the sport, because that's what the sponsorships are relying on. Really. They're going, well, I hope my player makes it on ESPN, you know, so I can, you know, see my brand yeah. under the lights. I mean, that's, that's important. Um, so it's super intriguing. You know, we, we, we did a lot last season um, and, you know, financially and in terms of sponsoring players and we're, we're repeating that maybe even a little bit bigger. Um, you know, part of that is, is the circle of, of, of Cornell or the circle of life. I, I, I like to look at it that way where, you know, we get a lot of money for our bags, but then we distribute that back to the players and those players then go play more tournaments and they influence the game, you know? So in a way, when we sponsor a lot of money to a lot of players, we're really helping that, uh, you know, the growth of Cornell in that way. And, and it's not, not super intuitive that, you know, for people on the outside to look at it that way. But I think everybody that sponsors a pro player should feel like you're doing something to the sport and helping to grow it because you're helping 
the best players in the world travel and grow the sport, you know, so it feels really good. Well, I'm glad you went down that road, Mark, because yes. we actually had several people who have, because uh, we've known now for the last couple of weeks we're going to have you on. So we've had several people who have reached out to us wanting to know what your philosophy is on sponsoring players because you have uh, someone like a Jason McCannon. He's putting all of his eggs in one basket, right, so to speak. Like he's got Matt Guy, he's got Jamie Graham, he has Brett Guy, Eric Davis, I mean, some of the top players in the world, and that's about it. And then you get Mike Hennessy with Lucky Bags, goes after world number one, Mark Richards. And then you've got Mark Pryor with Ultra Cornhole, and you've got some great players signed, but you you really maybe don't have the number one player in the world, the top two players in the world, but you've got a lot of you got a lot of other including a cat in your lab. And, yeah, and a giant multi talented, yeah. <laughs> but but you got a lot of other players. So what is your philosophy behind let's go after the top two or three versus let's go after twenty and spread it out? Yeah, that's it's so interesting because, you know, you can't really say one way is, you know, super right or wrong in terms of, you know, Jason and having some of the top players appear continuously under the lights. I mean, that's very effective way to grow your brand. Um, you know, my my approach is, you know, a little bit different. I like to have a large team right now. We currently have 45 pros and 10 PDC players um, signed, you know, I don't think there's anybody else in the business that is carrying that kind of, you know, team. And you know, we're supporting those players, you know, absolutely. We're giving them, you know, money to help fund their travels. Right. right. And that money goes right back into the sport of Cornell. Right. So, I mean, yeah, some of it goes to the airlines and, and to the hotels, but you know, them being able to kind of go and compete at these things and showing up and, you know, players that are maybe younger or new to the sport watching these players, that's what grows the sport, you know. Having some of the big names come to San Diego and play, you know, with us at our small tournaments, that helped grow it because people would come out just to watch them play. So um, back to your point, you know, I think our team, we have some really – good talent and i'm not going to be surprised if at all if some of these newer names you know shock the world either in singles or in doubles um you know there's just i mean a plethora of talent and at any tournament they can do it. and that's the thing when you go to these tournaments it's really you know a crapshoot as to what's going to happen but at time and time again we, we tend to see the cream you know float to the top um you know, but in some cases, like last season, we, you know, Noel Monza, for example, you know, he was not very well known. Um, you know, we took a chance on him and man, he really lit it up for us. And, <laughs> you know, we totally whiffed on a couple. I mean, at that point in time, you know, last season, it's like now, you know, we have like 45 pros and I'm sitting there kind of going, okay, you know, we have to, you know, stop at some point. Um, but, you know, Mark Richards, you know, was available and, you know, they're asking us for sponsorships. Um, and, you know, I guess they, you know, through the the dealings, they fell through the crack, right? So, whoops. <laughs> you never know who's going to come in and just, you know, blow it up. Um, uh, but that's, that's the exciting part for me. You know, if we can help form a team and then that team does well, that, and it's, unexpected that is really what excites me 
that's what gets hey, me going. Mark, did yeah. you have a chance to get Mark Richards? Like, like for those who don't know, because we've got a lot of people who watch this podcast who don't necessarily, um, you know, live and breathe. The all, all, of all 10 of them, all 10 of yeah, them actually don't them. really, aren't really involved in cornhole as much. <laughs> as did, did you have a chance to get Mark Richards? I mean, did it come down to, to like other, other sports? Was it, was it a bidding war? Oh, this season? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we did our best to submit our bid and, you know, I don't really like to, to chase and overinflate, um, even though it's probably warranted, you know, like I just would rather distribute, you know, give yeah. chances sure. and, and get, um, you know, when you create a team, it, it, it is cool, you know, throughout the season because everybody's kind of helping each other out. Everybody's supporting each other, going to the courts, cheering each other on. Um, that That's a good thing, you know. Um, yeah, I love your philosophy. I love your team philosophy, philosophy because I think that speaks to, to your goal is with that team philosophy, you are getting a large presence at – the games at the events at Spencer McKenzie's, you are seeing a lot of people walk around wearing exactly what you're wearing right now. Team ultra hats, shirts, you know, I mean, you see them all over the place. So I, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, whether you want to chase the, the top players or whether you want that presence, but there's no yeah. doubt about it. When you go to an event, ultra cornhole everywhere you walk, you, you can't not see it. Yeah, and, and to Mark and to Mark's point and your point, Jeff. I mean, if you go, let's let's get away from the bigger events. Let's go to your local blind draw. You're going to see yes. ultra bags everywhere because you've kind of put them out everywhere. It, it almost seems like it's an attainable brand. Not talking about the prices or anything like that, but just the way that it's distributed seems like an attainable brand from the average player. To whereas someone might see fire, I don't know necessarily, but someone might see fire as wow, the people that play fire are just that good. Maybe I'm just not good enough to play on that level with that bag. But I, but Ultra's got a bag for me because they're everywhere. They're ubiquitous in the game of cornhole. You like, like you're saying, Jeff, you can't go to a cornhole tournament and not see Ultra. I guess if you were to look at it this way, like the number of podiums, maybe not the quality of podium, but the number of podiums, Ultra will probably have the, the most podiums. This right. Season. You know, from your locals to your regionals to your conference and state – you know, and, and, you know, maybe, you know, the opens, right. We're in a, we're hoping for that and we're hoping for some nationals and we're hoping for, you know, some worlds. You never know what's going to happen. Sure. But, you know, we're going to get the most people holding up the bag. And that's part about having a bag, a big team, you know, it's, they're not obviously, you know, probably, I mean, some are right. Top 10, but you know, the majority probably in the team is, you know, somewhere in the top 100. Right. Right. But, right. you know, with there's new players that are coming in, you know, so, I mean, there's a lot of exciting things going on. I mean, I don't know. I'm curious to see how, how it works out. For sure. Last yeah. And, it, and, it's, yeah. and it's putting pressure. I mean, going back to the beginning of what we were talking about here in the show, yeah. puts pressure on bag manufacturers like yourself and those we've talked about trying to figure out who, who's going to be the next biggest, best thing. Right. Uh, in, in every aspect of the sport. So, all right, all right we, we're going to run out of time. I can't believe we've been uh, on the air here already for almost 45 minutes. But I, I've got to ask you real quick, Mark, because you and I sure. talked about this in Vegas um, j just in the last couple minutes that we have. And we'll, you know, we'll have you back on and have a whole show about this. But people always ask me, 
what what is in the cornhole bag what what is it made of like how did like i know i know there's there's some proprietary stuff there you can't talk about but but you of all people can talk about what the bag used to be versus what it is now can can you talk about without giving away any any uh of your your secret batch with the ultra bags um can you talk about the differences of of where the bags were you know just just eight ten years ago you know, made of, like you said, I mean, actual corn, whatever was in there to what it is now. Like, what, what is it now versus what it was? All right. Little known fact, I've never made a bag that had corn in it or any kind of organic thing. It's well, resin is kind of an organic material, but we've always been resin, you know, and now we we're able to collect um, pixies for pixie dust. Um, and we're able to sprinkle that in our bag. <laughs> That's Resident what it is. <laughs> okay, good. But it used—it actually used to be corn, right? I mean, wasn't it actually corn and other, like you said, oh, absolutely. organic? Yeah, making it corn, grains. but I, <laughs> you know, I just—it was always something that was like I never wanted that in my shop. Just mice going after it and stuff. It just <laughs> yeah. never appealed to me. You know, I always wanted to do. You know, we made you know, crappy duck cloth bags, you know, they're good, but it's still duck canvas. And if they ever get moisture, you know, they shrink weird and, you know, and the, the corners were pointy. So, I mean, you know, we used to do that back in the day, right? You know, that's where the sport kind of evolved from. And we, we did that. And, you know, now I, I feel like, you know, the way we do it, I mean, it's funny, you can get you know, these pros and they could put those old corn bags in them and they could still probably do a lot of great things with those old bags. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, do you but need so, all this so it, technology? No, you, you don't. But it, so, so it's, it's basically some it. sort of synthetic resin beads. Now they're inside all these bags. Yes. Yeah. Everything is, has some form of resin, you know, this is probably from the injection molding industry where you have like resin pellets, you know, so small kind of, you know, beads of plastic, you know, so. And then do you change the, so, so do different bags have different types of resin beads? Yes. Have we gotten that specific now? Oh yeah. Yeah. So the, the type of plastic makes a difference, you know, what it's filled with, you know, a lot of times you can fill them to adjust the density of the material. Um, and then the shape, right. If you have a big pellet versus a small one, if you have a flat disc versus a round, you know, it, it all impacts like how, when that bag makes an impact, how those pellets, you know, interact with each other. Is there friction between those pellets? That's going to dampen things out. If there's no friction, then they're going to kind of explode a little bit more. And so when you see a little bit more of a, a bounce, you know, the bag just has a tendency to bounce higher. You can expect those pellets to probably be pretty darn slippery relative to each other and have and have probably mostly resin in them. So they're they're just maybe a little bit harder and they're able to um, basically rebound energy more efficiently. Our interesting our bags tend to have a little bit more damped properties, meaning like when it hits, you know, they're gonna lose a little bit of energy in that interaction, right? So we're not gonna, you know, we initially started off that thinking that that was really the, what you wanted. You don't want much kick left or right. You want the bag to be able to hit and kind of just track, you know, towards the hole because not all of us have perfectly flat backs. And as a sport evolved, <laughs> yes. and what's really, really great um, is the sports evolved in this thing where there's different things that people are doing where they're, they're blocking and then they, 
you know, they're trying to get a bag to basically hop up or interact differently um, to minimize risk, but, you know, to, to acquire deep, higher DPR. So uh, phenomenal the way the sport has evolved, you know, uh, my thinking was purely one way, but it, it's clear that there's other solutions out there that work just as great. By yeah. the way, kind of really kind of counter kind of counterintuitive that if you make the resin kind of take away some of the energy, actually creates a faster bag. You, you know what I mean? Like that, like you would think, oh, you'd want more energy to make the bag faster, but actually, the way that you dampen the energy creates a faster bag. I find that to be kind of more interesting. Cool. Well, I mean, in not all cases, you can take Tony Smith. You know, when the bag hits, the way he's able to carry the bag up the board is oh, by stepping. You know, and yeah. so the bag actually jumps up in the air for a short period of time, and it it's not really touching the board. You know, no, so little up. control that way. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how he does it because there's no control yeah. over the bag. It's just brilliant um, artistry <laughs> of it is you know technique. It's yeah, it's phenomenal what these players are adapting towards. So that's the great thing about the sport, I think. Well, guys, unfortunately, I knew it was going to happen quickly, uh, out of time. So, yeah, Mark, I truly want to dive in sometime. We'll do like a special episode during the off season about this sometime. We can talk about this literally for another for another hour. Or so, but hey, uh, great to catch up with you. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for everything you do for the sport. Uh, it's been great to get a chance to know you and your players, and we'll for sure have you on again. So, thank you, brother. Awesome. Thanks for having hey, me, Mark. All right, Mark Pryor. I've been waiting to have him on for a long time. And again, literally, we need to have an entire show. We just talk about uh, the evolution of the bag. We got to go. We got like, like ten seconds left. Yeah, you know these guys are basically becoming the the new general managers, right? Yeah, they're picking the players. They are essentially the GMs of the sport. Yeah, a lot of responsibilities. All right, thanks for watching, everybody. Uh, have a good good week, Bernie. I'll talk to you later. See you, buddy. All right, bye, everybody.